Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles, Luke chapter 6. It's also there uh, in our bulletin. If you are uh, visiting with us, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, we're kind of still in the beginning of Luke, but we've been in Luke, what, tw- this is our 12th uh, sermon uh, going through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so we'll be here for quite a while. Uh, so when we come back after Thanksgiving, uh, we'll be doing Advent uh, from Luke. Uh, if you I may have noticed we skipped some of the Advent passages. Uh, that's so we can come back to it during Advent. Uh, but as we uh, transition, let's pray. Uh, let's pray real quick. Uh, Lord, through Paul, you've told us that um, how then will we call on him in whom we've not believed, and how are we to believe if we've not heard? Um, and how are we to hear without someone preaching? Uh, Lord, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So faith then comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so, Father, this morning as we turn now to the words of Christ, um, may you cause faith and belief and hope uh, to rise up in our souls. So Holy Spirit, come, illuminate this scripture, and we ask this in Christ. Amen. Uh, So this morning, Jesus is teaching about the ancient rhythm of life that God has placed into the DNA of humans uh, called Sabbath. And and Jesus' teaching on Sabbath is very simple. I I mean, in a perfect world, like this entire sermon could be like two minutes. There's like two quick things Jesus said, and then we're done. But, and I'm sorry for this, uh, unfortunately we don't live in a perfect world, um, so we have to have longer sermons and uh, in Jesus' day, just like in, in our day, um, they made Sabbath more complicated than God intended for it to be. And so Sabbath had so become about what you could and you couldn't do on that particular day that the entire point of the day was missed. And, and so we're going to explore Jesus' point uh, as, he, as he brings us back to the point of Sabbath. Um, but because there's just so much just... Just misinformation. We've got to tie up some loose ends before we get to that point. So, in Mark, which is uh, Peter's eyewitness account of this same event, Jesus said something very striking. This is where Jesus said that that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And some of, some people have have taken those words and and used them as a as an effort to kind of explain away the Sabbath, that it's, it's no longer a thing, that Jesus is our Sabbath, and as long as we got Jesus, then we're okay. And, but, but Jesus' purpose in saying that, it, at least it, it seems, was to do the exact opposite of that. Um, by, by saying that, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus was saying, it's not like we're these round pegs and we're trying to force ourselves into this square hole called Sabbath. We just got to make it work. 
Now, what he's saying is, is and, and some of y'all have probably gotten tailor-made dresses or tailor-made suits, you know, the kind where, like, they, they measure, like, all over you, right? And, and they make that thing to where it fits you in all the right ways and all the right places. Um, or, you know, maybe some, some of you, the golfers in here, have gotten, maybe you've gone to get fit for certain, like, golf clubs, and they've measured you and watched your swing, and they've, they've got the right height, the right angle, everything. It just, it just fits you perfectly. Okay, Jesus was saying, that's what the Sabbath is to the human soul. God made it to fit us perfectly. Um, that, that It fits us in all the right ways and in all the right places. But, but saying that, Jesus means you know, more than rules and regulations that God is after your heart when it comes to Sabbath. And, and so if you're asking what you can get away with on the Sabbath or what you can get away with on the Lord's Day, then you've already, you've already missed the point of the Sabbath. Uh, it's about remembering that you're a creature, that you're not a machine, that this world makes you think that you are a machine and you can just go. It, it's, it's to say that you're not a machine. It, it's seeing that you are loved not because of what you can do or what you can produce, but you are loved by the very nature of who you are as a blood-bought child of God in Christ. And, you know, last time I preached on Sabbath, I'm sure I said something like that, but I I don't think I I knew just how fundamentally true that is because I'm very much a different Richard than I was two years ago. Um, And so just a a little lens through which I'm preaching before we read the Word um, so I felt called to ministry. I felt God's call of ministry in the late 90s. Um, and this was during the time when the Jesus Freak, y'all remember DC Talk, those of you who listen to Christian music. Um, DC Talk, Jesus Freak. The Jesus Freak movement was full on. And I was raised on a dairy farm and instilled a very strong work ethic from a very young age. Uh, and then to further be inflamed, I was in, well, further inflamed by John Piper calling my generation uh, it was that one of those first passion conferences where he gave that big sermon about seashells, remember, um, or not collecting seashells. He told my generation to not waste our lives. And so I was just going to burn up and burn out for Jesus. And well, that first meant going to seminary. And like many people who go to seminary, my, my role models became people like Charles Spurgeon and John Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and uh, Robert Murray McChain. He, you know, it's people who preached and pastored and gave every drop that they had to the kingdom of God. And I mean, Calvin, I remember learning that Calvin had first published his institutes by the age of 27. I'm like, dude, I was 27, then I ain't done nothing. Um, what was my problem? And, and just like in all careers and probably all areas of life, there's this unspoken ethic in ministry that the busier you are, like you're never going to talk to a pastor that says, I'm not that busy. They're always going to say they're busy, right? Because there's this thing that the busier you are, then that means the more that you're doing for the kingdom. And in our world, busyness has kind of become a status symbol, right? It's, it's a currency of its own. It's a measurement of worth. It's a measurement of, of success. And, and then when y'all voted on me to be your pastor, um, I was like 29 years old, and I knew I was in over my head. And so I was just going to swing for the fences every week, and I was just going to go for it and go for it and go for it and make y'all so happy that y'all wanted to vote on me. Um, and then add to that, I'm a natural people pleaser, as some of you know. I really want people to be happy with me. 
And so every request, every text message, every phone call, every meeting, every comment, to me was urgent. Because not only was I trying to serve and make people happy, but I I was trying to do all this for the Lord, (laughs) for the kingdom. And yet, what they don't always tell you is that a lot of the spiritual heroes that we can look up to uh, died early, uh, literally working themselves to death. Uh, What they don't tell you is that there are many pastors who gave everything they had to the kingdom, and yet their spouses hated them. Uh, Their kids didn't even know them. Their kids resented the church. And so what this world doesn't tell you is that when you're going a thousand miles per hour, there's no room. Like, you can't go deep. It's impossible. As John Mark Comer says, we get sucked in by the urgent Everything's urgent. We get so sucked in by the urgent that we miss the important. As Wayne uh, Mueller wrote, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, he says illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. And so two years ago, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I was already really, really, really worn thin. Uh, In my people-pleasing manner, I was even kind of tiptoeing, trying to figure out a a really nice way to ask the session for an extended time away. Um, But then cancer came right in the middle of that, and coupled with a few other things, like I was just like thrown into full-blown crisis. And you know, the Bible is constantly, like constantly talking about how frail we are as humans, and especially related to the rest of creation, how frail we are. You know, it says things like, we're just like a vapor. That, that we're this mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Well, for the first time, I understood that in my bones. And, you know, that, that we, we rip and roar and run around like we're God. And, and like, like, we don't think we need rest. And we don't think that we have limits. But, y'all, only God is God. And to be human is to be frail. And it's to have limits, and I wish it didn't take a breakdown for me to see the violence that hurry and busyness cause on the soul. Because God's been telling us this, like, literally from the beginning. But but we have a way of following the world's way. Well, that's what everyone else is doing, and every other pastor is doing that, and every other parent's doing that, and every other kid's doing that. Everybody else is doing that, and so we have a way of following that way instead of the the Jesus way, and they are like two totally different ways, by the way. And so in line with all this, before, I know we haven't read our passage yet, we're going to, before we read our passage, um, I just want to read something that A.J. Swabuda, this is his name, Swabuda wrote that ties all this up. He writes, Sabbath is that ancient idea and practice of intentional rest that has long been discarded by much of the church and our world. Sabbath is not new. Sabbath is just new to us. He says, historically, Christians have kept some form or another of the Sabbath for some 2,000 years, but it has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The rest, he writes, Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It's It's not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. We have come to know Jesus as the Lord of the harvest, forgetting that He is the Lord of the Sabbath as well. 
Sabbath forgetfulness is driven so often in the name of doing stuff for God rather than being with God. We're too busy working for Him. And this is only made more difficult by the fact that the Western church is increasingly experiencing displacement and marginalization in a secular society. In that, we have all the more bought into the notion that ministering on overdrive will resolve the crisis. Sabbath is assumed to be the culprit of a shrinking church. And so time, poverty, and burnout have become the signs that the church remains serious about God in a world that has rejected Him. And then he writes, Because we pastors rarely practice Sabbath, we rarely preach the Sabbath. And because we do not preach the Sabbath, our congregations are not challenged to take it seriously themselves. The result of our Sabbath amnesia is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. So on on that bombshell, uh, let's dive into God's Word. Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 6, 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come, stand here. And the man rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, Jesus said to him, Stretch out your hand. And the man did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is God's word. So Sabbath simply means to stop. You know, if you look through the Ten Commandments, the one about the Sabbath really sticks out as, as, as different. And in fact, the Sabbath commandment uh, set Israel apart from all the other nations uh, during that time because, you know, other nations had commandments or, or laws about, like, hey, don't kill somebody, don't steal. Um, but none had a law saying stop, like you are commanded to rest. The language even there of the commandment is different. By saying, remember the Sabbath, God is saying, this isn't new information that you're getting on Mount Sinai. This is something that you already know. And of course, this is a nod to what Brian read this morning in Genesis, where in the very beginning, after God finished his work of creation, God rested, establishing the, the Sabbath, not as a commandment, but as a creation ordinance, which means that you can think what you want. But our maker has declared that this is how creation, like like this is how life flourishes best, Sabbath. And what's interesting is as societies have evolved and become more technologically advanced, many have tried to kind of throw out or toy with this one in seven rhythm. um, And in efforts to increase production, 
you know, a lot of places have tried to, you know, turn to 10-day work weeks. And yet every time that's happened, um, it's not worked out. France was the last country to try this. And when they did, the economy crashed, suicide rates skyrocketed, and their productivity actually went down. And so the people who study this kind of stuff say that once you've worked 50 hours in a week, your productivity plummets drastically. In fact, another study found they they compared people who work 55 hours a week to people who work 70 hours a week, and they found that there is literally zero difference in what they were able to produce uh, with their work that week. And so not coincidentally, you know, 50 hours, I mean, that's about a six-day work week. I mean, could it be that God knows what we need more, um, work and, and rest. But, but then there's another angle in kind of understanding the background of the Sabbath. When, when Moses relists the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, he adds just slightly different language to remind us of this other angle. He said, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath, which means it's not only tied to creation, but it's also tied to redemption. Because for 435 years, Israel worked seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, without any rest, at least as far as we can tell. And because, you know, people who are in bondage don't rest. And maybe some of you know that those of you have been in, like, spiritual bondage or bondage to sin, addiction. Like, you, you can't rest. There is no rest. And yet God stepped into time and space, and God delivered his people from slavery, and then he gave them the Sabbath as a weekly opportunity to celebrate and to remember the reality of redemption, you know, to worship their Redeemer, and to remember that they're not slaves anymore, uh, but God has given them a new identity as, as beloved. Okay. But by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees had taken this Sabbath idea, the Sabbath even principle and command, and they had over-regulated it to the point that it was almost unrecognizable. And it's easy to bash the Pharisees, but I do think it's important to note that from their perspective, I mean, they thought they were doing the right thing. Because wherever Rome came in and Rome conquered, Rome also brought their culture with them. And remember, these are the people that thought that doing the Olympics naked was a good idea, right? And in in every place that Rome invaded, there arose a resistant culture, resistance culture from within that said, no, like we're not going to allow you to take over our way of life. We're we're not going to let the Roman way swallow up our way. And, And this happens, does this happen all the time? I mean, anytime that change happens anywhere in government, in the church, in the workplace, you know, there's the, the old guard rises up as, as self-proclaimed guardians who see it as their duty to hold the line and to resist change. They say, no. And sometimes resistance is good. And sometimes that, you know, that coalition is, they're even acting godly. Like, I, I believe that every follower of Christ has this punk rock spirit towards some of the things of the world in them. They say, no, that's not how you do it. But as can happen, and we see this a lot, our, our love of country or our love of the church or our love of whatever it is can go too far and it can become an idol. And in the name of resisting change, they and we can turn into control freaks and we can throw down barriers where God has actually given us freedom. 
And, uh, well, in this day, uh, this group of people uh, were called the Pharisees. They take these places that God has given freedom, and they, they heap heavy, unbiblical burdens on the people to try to maintain. They set these parameters up so that they could stay the same way. And they said, if we're going to maintain our identity as, as the Hebrew people, then we, we've got to you know, adhere even more strictly uh, to the Scriptures. We've got to be set apart even more. And some rabbis even taught that if every Hebrew, every Jew would just keep the Sabbath, then the Messiah would come and everything would be right. And so in attempts to ensure better adherence to the Sabbath, the Pharisees developed this rule book, uh, elaborate rule book consisting of 39 different categories, with each category having almost countless subsections of categories um, of things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath. But the problem was, that was their law. That was not God's law. That was their law. And they become so rigid, and they become so overly orthodox, that by the time our passage was here, they thought Jesus was breaking the Sabbath in, in at least five different categories for them. So by plucking the grain, they were guilty of reaping or harvesting on the Sabbath. Uh, by rubbing the grain in their hands, uh, they were guilty of threshing. And by letting the chaff then fall from their hands to the ground, they were guilty of winnowing. And then to top it all off, by doing all those things and then putting the grain into their mouths and chewing, they were guilty of preparing a meal on the Sabbath. So that's four things. But then there's the fifth, which is our next uh, passage. The Pharisees held that healing on the Sabbath was strictly forbidden. Like, unless a person was about like literally die right now, then you could intervene. But strictly forbidden. And so the Pharisees would have told this man with a withered hand who came up in the synagogue, they're like, look, man, you just going to have to wait until tomorrow. Because today, this isn't a day for helping people. This is a day for worshiping God. And yet Jesus stepped in, and Jesus confronted their man-made rules because their rules didn't leave any room for mercy. And so Jesus said, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save a life or to destroy a life? And of course, the answer is obvious. In other words, Jesus was saying not only was it not wrong to help this man, but it was wrong not to help him. And in so doing, Jesus showed the Pharisees, and I think he shows us, that it's very easy to have a view of the Sabbath that is not only inadequate, but is, is loveless, merciless, and just cruel. Okay, so what does all this mean for us? Well, in our passage, Jesus said that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And, you know, you know, many have used this to argue, again, that, that Jesus did away with the Sabbath. That, that all the Sabbath rest is just found in, in him, which is part of that is true. Um, but it's interesting that as you read through Scripture, every time Jesus talks about the Sabbath, he, he's usually talking about the false views that the Pharisees had about the Sabbath. But he never talks about the Sabbath itself. And so by saying that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying that he is God. It's a claim to lordship. That, that, that he came up with the idea of the Sabbath, which means we would be wise to listen to what he has to say as opposed to what the Pharisees said and what we think about the Sabbath. And so first, in our first passage, by bringing up David eating of the bread of the presence on the Sabbath... Jesus is telling us that acts of necessity are in. 
that the priests saw back then and, then, and, and Jesus knew that meeting a basic human need such as food was necessary on the Sabbath. And so we know that look, there are things that just need to happen. And sometimes oxes get in ditches. And sometimes people are in need, and on the Sabbath, we're called to meet those needs. So it's a day of necessity. Um, second, and I guess, you know, we can abuse that, right? Because we got all kinds of oxes that can get in ditches, right? Um, but it should be mindful of, of truly what is truly necessary. A second, we see that Sabbath is a day for mercy. You know, it's, it's like Jesus went out of his way to heal people on the Sabbath so that we could see uh, what the Sabbath is for. Um, it, it's like he wanted us to get what God has already told us in the Old Testament, that God desires mercy more than sacrifice. Uh, it, it's mercy more than just merely observing rituals and going through the process. And so the Sabbath is a day of enacting mercy in a way that maybe you didn't get a chance to during the week. It's a day to slow down and to visit a, a, a stranger, to welcome a stranger, to visit the sick, to be intentional about taking the time to sit down and listen and counsel that friend who needs encouragement. You know, it's a day not just for hearing the gospel, but it's also a day for practicing the gospel through loving deeds of mercy to others. So it's a, it's a, day, of, a day of mercy. Third, as we already have seen and know that you know, the Sabbath is a day of worship. It's a day of worship. It's a day for us to remember that in Christ, y'all, we are no longer a slave to our sin. That in Christ, we have a new identity as forgiven and loved. And so all week, we've been told the lie that we are what we produce. And yet on this day, the gospel woos us back to the ultimate reality that our value is not in what we do. It's not in what we have. It's not in what we earn. Our value, our identity is what in Christ has already done for us. And, and so we gather together and we praise God corporately. And, and what an act of rebellion it's against the world. is to see what ultimate reality is, what your ultimate identity is. And so we gather together to give God praise corporately, thanking Him for redemption, for forgiveness, for the freedom that we have in Christ. But then we also spend part of this Sabbath day, you know, in private worship, where we slow down long enough to go deep. Maybe take a walk, I, you know, just, and be awakened to the wonder of, it's as the hymn says, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for like me? <laughs> die for me. Uh, I, I don't think we ever get over the fact that in Jesus, like the God who made everything, the God who made everything has every right to set up the rules. And we have all sinned against the rules. And so because of that, we deserve his wrath. We deserve his, his fury. And yet in Jesus, like, like Jesus took all that, that, that we deserve on himself. And so now if we are in Jesus, the God of the universe looks at you and smiles and calls you child, son, daughter. Like you, you, I don't think you ever get over that. And so the Lord's day is a day to just slow down and to ponder that. Um, a day of worship. And then finally, fourth, as noted, Sabbath is a day of rest. A day of rest. Uh, one, one scholar said, Sabbath reminds us that, quote, our time <laughs> was never our time in the first place. 
All time is God's time. Because we're not God, uh, because we are finite and we are frail, we rest. So keeping the Lord's day is the biblical answer to workaholism. It's the answer to seeking our worth in what we do and how much we make and chasing that rabbit. To, to Sabbath really is to surrender, but it's not just that. Like, it is to, like, in, you know, in a punk rock spirit, to rebel against the world. Because you know, if, we, if we wait to rest after we finish all of our stuff, like, we're, we're never going to finish our work because our work on this earth is never done. So it's to surrender because our work is never completely done here, knowing that to Sabbath, even in the face of that, to Sabbath is to rest from having to be productive in the eyes of the world. And I know as Southerners, and look, I grew up on a dairy farm, like you never stop working. But to stop from being productive, it's okay. In, in the eyes of the world, there's a different type of productivity that happens on the Sabbath. And, you know, this is for your family, too. You know, one of the best things a parent can give to their kids is the gift of Sabbath. Because all week long, you've toiled. And you've gone from appointment to appointment, ball game to ball game, soccer match to soccer match. And you've done all the things that all the world's doing. And you're trying to keep up. And that calendar is slammed. But this day, a day of worship, a day of dwelling on the gospel and mercy you and your family also feast. You also laugh. You also nap. You play together. Like for no other reason than you are no longer a slave. But you belong uh, to, your, to your, your Savior. Uh, you are a child of God. And so the Sabbath is a pressure release valve. I hope I mean, you all see this, right? Like this does not happen naturally. Because naturally, we have soccer tournaments and baseball games, and like naturally, we just go all the time. Um, and that happens until we have a breakdown. I hope it doesn't happen for you, but you realize, no, we can't. I just, God knows best. And so the Sabbath is the pressure release valve of earning and doing and comparing and keeping, keeping up with everybody else. And it's a call to stop and just to celebrate the fact that once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. <laughs> Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Westminster, the Sabbath is an invitation to rest like only the redeemed can rest. And so I invite you to that this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we think through Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath of necessity and mercy and worship and rest um, Lord, may you capture my heart, capture our hearts um, for just the need and the importance, the primacy of, of Sabbath. Uh, Lord, to seek our rest in you. And so, Lord Jesus, may, uh, may, may you continue to be more and more beautiful to us as we rest in you. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.com. 
www.thepeopleofgod.org. God bless.